0: Shalom and welcome to Shalom Ariel and to the second part of Sermon 4 in the Book of Leviticus with Messianic leader Jacques-Isaac Gabizon. When the tabernacle was first put up, surely it was clean and white and holy looking. It's like that nice new car that we purchase or perhaps that new cell phone that has not yet even one scratch on it. We try to keep it looking that way because when it looks new, it seems to function best and we're so proud of it. But when it comes to the tabernacle, we need to look at things in a different way. While that tabernacle started out as new, clean and spotless, it didn't take very long for the blood stains from the sacrifices to be found all over the place we read from leviticus 1 verse 5 aaron's sons the priests shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around the altar that is on the doorway of the tent meeting now the word sprinkle here is not just take a few drops and put them here and there but it's taking the blood and pouring it or actually throwing it on the altar what a crimson mess of blood Yet, this is how the tabernacle operated best to make the Israelite clean and pure and without scratch, meaning without fault, no faults not on the outside, but no faults on the inside. These bloodstains must be applied to have holiness applied to our lives. That's how the tabernacle remained a holy place unto the Lord. While we might not want a scratch on our new car, it was the stripes the pain, the scourging that the Messiah endured for us whose blood was spilt on our account that keeps us new and pure and clean and operating well. So stay tuned and be blessed as you listen into today's program with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon. Shalom, shalom.
1: And moving back now to verse 7, there's yet something else which speaks directly to us. See what it says. The sons of Aaron, the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. You know, reading this verse, it gives us the impression that the priest lit the fire and arranged the wood on top of the altar. But the fire on the altar was always there. It was never put out. Even in the wilderness, they carried the fire with them. This fire comes from God, who originally, at the opening sacrifice, fire came from heaven to consume the first sacrifice. And this fire, they kept always. It was the eternal fire. This fire was a gift from God, and this is reflected by the word "put." put in this verse which is not the usual word for putting or placing something here the word is natan which means to give even to give a gift as if to say that the priest will offer the fire which is a gift from god for our sacrifices this type of fire inauguration is something by the way the last i believe the last false jewish messiah will attempt to imitate as we read in revelation 13 you know that one that is thing that he does miracle that he does is to bring fire from heaven perhaps this will take place when he will launch the third temple but it is in the last word of the verse which brings us to see the ultimate gift of god to men see the last word where the priest is asked to arrange what the wood and the fire this may sound like an unnecessary addition but they remind us and them of another major event in the history of israel because it is written very much the same way this recall the sacrifice of isaac do you remember which is a type of the final sacrifice of the messiah when abraham and isaac were climbing the mountain of jerusalem mount moriah isaac asked this important question in genesis 22:7. he says behold the fire behold the wood where is the lamb for the burnt offering Where is the lamb? Isaac asked. So too, perhaps, did all those who offered the sacrifices. They also must have asked, When would this stop? It did, when the Lamb of God came. You know, in the story of Akedah, by the way, it was Abraham, the father, who was the one who carried the fire, just like the heavenly Father gave the fire for the altar, and Isaac, the son he was the one who carried the wood on his shoulder up the mountain he's likened to the true son of god who carried the wood in the shape of the Tav, preparing for his own sacrifice both these events took place in the same mountain of course to the place of the crucifixion where yeshua was to take all the fires of judgment by the way, this is only the beginning of the story because Leviticus goes even deeper and deeper into showing these relationships. And the idea of the image of the wood, by the way, this is important, seems to have been carried in the New Testament and brought to our memory by the words of Paul and Peter, who use this word wood very often to describe the cross the tithe itself, and thus guarding the memory of the sacrifice found in Leviticus and also with Isaac. This is something, by the way, that was lost in translations. For instance, see what Peter says as he is speaking to Jewish believers who were under severe persecution for their faith. 1 Peter 2.24. Who himself, that is Yeshua Mashiach, bore our sins in his own body on where? The tree. That we having died to sins might live for righteousness and by whose stripes we were healed. He mentions the word tree or wood, wood, xilon in Greek. Instead of the word cross, storos. Perhaps to remind these Jewish believers and us as well that Yeshua is the final sacrifice of the mosaic law. The same word xilon is the word the septuagint. That is the 70 rabbis who translated the Bible into Greek. For... They mentioned this word all over Leviticus one, four times over for the word wood. This same word is used by Peter as well when he spoke to the high priest and the whole Sanhedrin, right in Acts five thirty. See what he says: the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a tree. Xilon on wood peter was speaking to priests who were present and see that he did not use the word cross but used the term that they were very familiar with which brought them back to the altar understanding that it was yeshua who died for us unfortunately again these words are translated as cross instead of wood in most translations the word for cross in greek again is toros mentioned 27 times always describing the cross the word for wood or tree, zilon, is mentioned 20 times, but always for a tree or wooden object like a club. There's a difference between these two words. But there's yet another verse we have not yet completely read. Look at verse 5 in which it is written. Aaron's sons, the priests, shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around on the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. The word sprinkle here is not just you know taking a few drops and going like this the word is actually pouring blood upon these things pouring the blood on the altar pouring the blood on the tent of the door of the tent of meeting the hebrew word is zarak the same word used when one threw dust on his head as a sign of mourning this is how much blood the priest sprinkled but this word changes our view of the tabernacle of the temple what this tells us is that the door leading to the way of God in the holy place was not as nice as the one you see in this picture. Right? It was filled with blood. With so many sacrifices, the ground must have been all covered with blood. And the curtains of the holy place must have been also drenched with blood. A bloody door which again asks us, asks the one who's coming. Under whose name are you coming? where is your blood where is your sacrifice and furthermore even the priest clothes not as white as you see them on the picture right they must have been drenched in blood with all this sprinkling and handling this is when the messiah emerges with open arms for all these things speak to him okay when you go in there you're going to look for your mediator The priests who offered these sacrifices were told to wear an ephod, a robe of white linen, and the linen robe was filled with blood. By the way, does that remind you of an event in the New Testament? Every priest with their blooded robe became a type of the suffering Messiah and reminds us that when he was scourged before he became himself the final sacrifices. We're told that not only his body was bloodied, from the many lashes he endured from the Romans, but his face must have been also all-blooded when they pressed the crown of thorn on his head. No wonder that in the book of Acts we're told that many priests came to believe. And as we speak of these things, we can think of the prehistoric then. It must have been very difficult for them that is, the priests, to work in the compound. And seeing all these things. Okay, it must have been hard for them to do all this sacrifice day in and day out. This is perhaps why each course of priests came on duty only for a week, one week, and then they would go. This is perhaps why they had constant singing and worshiping from the temple singer, you know, to help them perhaps and help also the people who came to offer their sacrifice. All these things. Are powerful imageries to remind that our salvation was actually very costly to God. And then, after the account of the sacrifices of the land animal, the chapter ends with the sacrifice of the dove and the pigeon. We have already spoken about it briefly, but let's read the text. This is verses 14 to 15 and see how graphic it is but if his offering to the lord is a burnt offering of birds then he shall bring his offering from the turtle doves or from young pigeons the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and offer it on the smoke on the altar and its blood is to be drained out and on the side of the altar you know after that the priest wring off the head of the bird that is he broke his head you know as he put it in between his thumb and index he then as we read removed the crop of the bird situated on the throat then the feathers then the entrails after he squeezed out the little blood that it had that must I want to tell you have spoken very heavily to the offer who witnessed these things since the dove itself is a symbol of peace and of good news It was the first bird Noah released after the flood, and it brought back an olive branch to tell him that the land was ready for him. This is where we find the first mention of the dove with Noah. It was a herald of peace, of stability. Throughout the Bible, the dove became a symbol of purity. Of gentleness of simplicity with a great message of power in there and the question then that the priest and the offerer must have asked again and again what then sacrifice such a pleasant animal for us we can look beyond the time of Leviticus it is a blessing to make this correlation with the light of the subsequent scriptures beginning with Jonah whose name actually means dove, Jonah, in Hebrew for Jonah that is. He himself became a sign of the resurrection spoken of by the Messiah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, just like Yeshua was in Sheol for three days and three nights. I love how the Messiah, by the way, links such an important event with the story of Jonah and the fish, that is the resurrection, among the stories that it is least believed in the Bible, where our God is a God of miracle, and the Jonah in the fish is true. And at the baptism of Jesus, the dove became a sign to John to point to the Jewish Messiah. He was from the line of priest himself, as we read in John 131 says, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. The dove then spoke of the gentleness and also of the power of the Messiah. You know, according to a legend, above the throne of King Solomon perched a dove with an awk. In his talent symbolizing the ultimate victory of israel over its enemies the dove then help us to see the great gentleness tenderness and power of redemption in the messiah there's another point i would like to bring out concerning miriam okay the, the mother of yeshua whom we previously mentioned as she was going to offer two doves and two pigeons you know that she actually witnessed what the priest did to the bird as we read in Leviticus we know from the Talmud that women did have access beyond the courts of the women at the temple into the compound where the sacrifices were performed now if you remember just before she offered the sacrifice she received a prophecy from a man called Simon the righteous who pronounced a prophecy concerning her and concerning Jesus Yeshua this is what he told her in Luke two thirty four. behold this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against yes a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed in the words, a sword will pierce through your own soul, where the prophecy says that she would suffer much when she will see her son die, which she witnessed some 33 years later. And when she did witness her son on the taff, she must have remembered the prophecy and then also the dove, how this gentle animal was sacrificed for purification. The piercing of her soul or of anyone's soul really begin back when with the sacrifices of the animals and looking forward to today. When we, the believers, look at that sacrificial death and substitution of what Yeshua did for us. Our soul should be pierced through as we consider his piercing on our behalf and in a new hope. Of his resurrection. You know, all these information tell us how much Yeshua suffered for us. Now I just want to tell you, going back to Simon the Righteous, this man may have been the high priest, apparently, at the time of Yeshua when he was a baby. This is in fact the Talmud, in the Talmud, it speaks of a high priest of the time whose name was Simon the. The upright. However, the Talmud also tells us that some major, major event occurred at the temple after that he died. This is what the Talmud, Babylonian Talmud, says about him. I'll mention only one thing that happened at the death of Simon the Righteous. That's concerning the sacrifices. It says the rabbis taught. In the time of the 40 years during which Simon the Upright was high priest, in Shimeon the Upright's time, the fire of the altar ever waxed in strength. And except the two measures of wood described, they had not to add any wood in Shimeon the Upright's time. But after him, sometimes the fire persisted and sometimes the wood had to be added. And so at the time of Shimeon the Upright, Or Simeon the righteous, as Luke calls him, without giving any more details. For he was known at the time the fire on the altar was always fierce and the smoke always going straight up. And at his death, 40 years before the destruction of the temple, that is at the time of Jesus, 70 minus 40, that the fire began to dwindle and it needed much more wood to actually feed that fire. That was God speaking, I believe, to the to the Jewish people. Even now, telling them that Yeshua came. At that time, Yeshua was in town. While well, there were many other signs which occurred after his death, there's one more I want to bring to you. This one comes from both Talmuds. That is the Jerusalem and the Babylonian Talmud. This is what they report: Forty years did Simon the righteous, the priest after him, that is, the priest ceased to bless Israel with the name of Jehovah, but used Adonai what it says is that simon the righteous was the last high priest to have known to to know that is how to pronounce the name of god because after when he died it was forgotten and they used the name adonai this is why in the hebrew bibles we have the name adonai instead of you'd have they cannot pronounce it we forgot the pronunciation and why because yeshua had come as the final sacrifice as he said in John 14:9 He who has seen me has seen the Father. He is today the way to the Father. Just a few verses before he affirmed it when he says I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but through me. This saying is so much easier to understand when we put all this sacrifice in Leviticus as the background of these powerful words. Yeshua has become the only way to eternal life, the only way and truth. Because he gave himself for us but before we leave this chapter there is one thing about the dove Jesus asked us actually to become like one remember Matthew ten sixteen. behold he says I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves therefore be wise as a serpent and harmless as doves you know I don't think he was asking us to give ourselves as the dove was sacrificed at the temple we don't need to do that because he did it for us So in which sense are we to become like doves and like serpents in a way of being wise? Serpents and doves are two opposite animals. One is sly and powerful, the other is innocent and so fragile. Yet we are called to be the best of these two. And the result is a very powerful and gentle dove or believer. The word shrewd or wise as serpent are the same word. The Septuagint translated in Genesis 3, 1, when it says that the serpent was more cunning than any beast. He was then for evil. We ought to be likewise wise for all circumstances when we need to exhibit gentleness and being when we are called to be harmless. This is the image of a believer, by the way. One who looks so much like our Savior. He was so gentle yet so powerful with his words. This is when we enter the second chapter, and we just have a few minutes actually to give you a refreshing introduction. If you remember, or those who follow us on Wednesday, in our last Wednesday study, we moved from the book of the servant, ending with Isaiah 53, to the book of glory. And do you know how this book of glory begins? Remember the words? Shout for joy. Because the Messiah had died and resurrected. And so Isaiah 54 begins with this word. And so it is very similar here in Leviticus between chapter 1 and between chapter 2. As the burnt offering was given. And after seeing all that the Messiah has done for us, what then should we do? Give our best. Because God gave his best. This is what the next offering, the mincha, is about. See how it begins. 2-1 Leviticus now when anyone presents a green offering as an offering to the lord his offering shall be of fine flowers it changes and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it first we we can see the change in the first words when god called moses for the burnt offering he said in chapter 1 verse 2 when any man of you brings an offering the word there for man was adam however here the word anyone is not adam it is nefesh that is the soul so it is when any soul presents a grain offering one rabbi understood this change and said that for this offering one needed to offer his whole self completely to god as a thanking sacrifice thankful sacrifice after the burnt offering and we can add that after understanding the burnt offering as speaking of the messiah we now in turn shout for joy In offering ourselves and what we have fully to God for this would be the proper response now see what the offer is asked to give fine flour oil frankincense as another rabbi observed these are things you offer to a king we will see the significance of this next time and also the meaning of the mincha itself I will close by closing I want to tell you a story a story you know there are many stories that are circulating about miracles many of them are very exaggerated but but this one I'm about to tell you I believe happened it is the story of a woman who lived in africa and who came to believe in the messiah and grew strong in her commitment to the lord However, her faith alienated her from the community and from her husband. And over the years, her husband grew to despise her devotion to the God of the Bible. His bitterness reached a climax when he decided actually to kill his wife, their two children, and himself, unable and to live such shame, as he called it. But he needed a motive. He decided that he would accuse her of stealing his precious keys, keys to the bank where he worked, Keys to the house and keys to the car. So early one afternoon, he went to the Nile and dropped the keys into the river. After that, he spent all afternoon drinking and planning to commit the murders in the evening. Later that afternoon, his wife went to the fish market to buy the evening meal. She purchased a large Nile perch. As she was guiding the fish, to her astonishment, in its belly were the husband's keys. How had they gotten there, she did not know, but she cleansed them up and hung them on the hook. Then in the evening, the husband, drunk, came home and pounded open the front door, shouting, Woman, where are my keys? She picked them up off the hook that was right next to him and she handed them to her husband. When he saw the keys, he could not believe it, and by his own testimony, he immediately became sober and understood that it was a miracle. He perceived the hand of God at this time in his life. At this moment, he fell on his knees, sobbing, asking for forgiveness, and confessed Yeshua as his Lord and Savior. Now, I want to tell you, we truly have a God of miracle who is able to uncover all that we veil, well expose and draw us. To himself, and he will use whatever means, even change in the laws of nature, and even a fish direction of swim, so that even one soul can come to believe. We have seen at the beginning of today's sermon the many signs, an increasing number of them that are, I believe, God's way to call on those who have not yet made their decision to come to Him as and accept Yeshua as their personal Savior, Redeemer. But how does one accept Yeshua and receive Him as their personal Savior? Today, we will repeat the prayer of repentance. If you have not yet done it, you can repeat after me. If you feel you understood that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah, that He is the final sacrifice, you can even stand or raise your hand if you want for this moment is so crucial, I believe, the most important in one's life. Yeshua, today I give you my life. Today I realize that your name means salvation. And that you died for my sins. For I am a sinner. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son for me. I pray in his name. Amen and amen. Now as it is written, the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, Through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Yeshua Mashiach equip you in every good things to do his will, according, working in us, that is, that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Yeshua Mashiach, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And to the congregation, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen.
0: Shalom Ariel is a daily radio program emphasizing the Jewish perspective of Scripture. God is not through dealing with Israel, nor will He renege any of the promises He has made to her. Our teacher for this program, Jacques Isaac Gabizon, is a Messianic Jewish believer and Messianic leader at Beth Ariel Congregation right here in Montreal. If you've been encouraged by the messages, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one 685 5902 or you may write us at info at bethariel, B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L, all one word, dot C-A. You are also welcome to join us for our Saturday morning services. We are located at 6297 Monkland Boulevard, corner of Madison in NDG. The message is given in English, but we do offer simultaneous translation into French and Russian. Services begin at 11 a.m. We have Shabbat school for children of all ages, up to and including teens. You may also download audio messages from our website at bethariel.ca and enjoy other in-depth teaching from Jacques Isaac. If you would like to sign up for informative newsletters, log on to our website and add your name to our email list. Shalom Ariel is a listener-supported program. If you have it on your heart to donate, it will be a great blessing for the continuing ministry and outreach of Beth Ariel. Thank you and Shalom Shalom.